as many of you guys know, I started this podcast because it was a way of me journaling my thoughts. The whole idea behind this was that whenever I had something, well, at least what I thought was profound to say, or something that I wanted to share that I thought would bring value to the world and to help them, I would stop what I was doing, pull out my phone and record those thoughts into my phone and then share it with the world. That's all this podcast ever was. There was no schedule. There was no real aim for it. I wasn't trying to achieve anything specifically. It was just my way of getting stuff out of my head that I thought was valuable and sharing it with the world. And there was never any intention for me to have guests on the podcast. However, that, my friends has changed because I was contacted via my Facebook page recently by a lady out in the States called Kendra Harbour and she asked if she could come on the podcast and share her story. Now, I'm not going to steal her thunder because that will take away from the episode and everything we talked about, but Kendra is the first ever guest on the No Limits podcast. She's a phenomenal woman with a phenomenal story And I'm sure that everyone listening to this is is going to really, really enjoy this. I certainly enjoyed speaking to her. I'm not an interviewer uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but it was easy to talk to her. We talked for, you know, close to an hour, I think. Um, And it was fascinating for me to to hear her story. So I'm sure you guys will enjoy it. So without further ado, welcome to the latest episode of the No Limits podcast with me, your host, and today's first ever guest, Kendra Harbour. Kendra, thank you yeah. um, for being, I, I think actually, I, I do a couple of podcasts, so sometimes it's hard to keep on top of it, but I think you are the first guest that I've ever had on the No Limits podcast. All right. I <laughs> know, oh, no, normally it's just me, if I'm driving around the country and something pops in my head, I'll pull over. You know, I'll spit it into my phone, record it, and then and post it up as a podcast. That's the reason I started the thing. I never had any intention of, of ever interviewing anybody. But hmm. since you reached out to me, I thought this is the perfect opportunity to just take that leap and go and do it. So thank you for for offering to be the first guest. Yeah, I'm honored. <laughs> okay, so I will admit i didn't do this in a creepy way but obviously we don't know each other so i had to do a little bit of facebook stalking to get a little (laughs) bit of information about you and i found out a very small amount but that was intentional because i want you to tell everyone listening your story if you don't mind yeah no not at all as far back as you want and just free ball it as long as you want and if you don't mind if if i see an opportunity to dive in ask a couple questions and I'll do that. Yeah, definitely ask questions. Okay. Um, well, I guess it kind of all starts back the day I was born because I was born with two missing toes, a missing fibula bone. Uh, my right leg was shorter than my left leg. Okay. My foot was crooked and turned outward. And then my left leg was dislocated. So wow. I had a lot stuff going on and of course that was really hard for my parents to navigate because I mean they just had expected that I would be okay you know mm-hmm. normal basically so they were meeting with all of these doctors and they just had no idea what to do 
and everyone just kept throwing around the word amputation. And of course, they had in their minds, like, how in the world am I going to be the parents that chooses to cut off my daughter's foot? Right. Just can't do that. So um, they tried a bunch of other kind of options. I was in a brace for a while. I was in a cast for a while just to try to like straight, straighten my foot and things like that. But nothing worked. So right around two years, they actually decided to go forward with the amputation. And shortly thereafter, I got fitted for my first prosthesis. That's when you were two years old? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you don't have any recollection of that? Or do you? No, and actually, that's pretty much why they did it right then. Because they didn't okay. want me to have any memory of it at all. And do you mind if I ask? I know you should never ask a woman her age, but what, mm. what year was this when you were two? When, when did you have your... So that was 1987. Right. And the reason I asked that is because prosthetics back in, you know, the 80s, 90s, were nowhere near where they are now. Um, right. <laughs> which makes it a lot tougher. Yeah. But so actually, my first prosthesis started out with a strap. And... I was so active, thankfully, and I would just, you know, I would kick a ball and my leg would fly off, or I would just, I would sit cross-legged and my leg would fall off. It, it just never stayed on. And you're below me, right? I saw some pictures. Yes. Uh-huh. And it's okay. actually, I have one of the longest residual limbs that they even make. They don't actually do it, these surgeries anymore, because with the technology advancing now, they want room at the end to put all of the apparatuses and yeah. things like that. So it really is hard for me to even have a vacuum leg and things like that because there's just no room. No, no, I don't understand what you're saying. They have all these fancy new, you know, mechanical ankles, which make you taller. So yeah, I understand where you're coming from when you say that, but go, going back slightly, you know, I've always thought this myself. Um, you know, when I was injured, when I lost my legs, it was a traumatic amputation, right? So they were mm -hmm. torn off at the scene. I had no choice in, in that at all. And, you know, you just have to carry on and deal with it. But when I was going yeah. through rehab, there were guys that had maybe been shot through the ankles and their ankles had fused and it caused them pain. And then so later on down the line, they had to make that decision Mm -hmm. whether they were going to advocate or not and whether it was going to give them a better quality of life. Now, once you make that decision, there's, there's no going back on it. So right. in, in a way, my situation, I was kind of lucky. I didn't have a choice. Mm -hmm. So I imagine it was very difficult if you've got to make that choice yourself. But your parents had to make that choice. So they're little yes. babies. Which, must have Which been I'm really brilliant. fortunate for because I don't know if I could have made that choice myself, but they made it for me. So that made it easier on me, but certainly not them. Yeah, yeah it's no, terrible. Sure. And so growing up then, what, you know, what was that like? Well, I just kind of had to find out how to maneuver through life in my own way. Mm -hmm. So um, early on when I started to walk pretty well on the new prosthesis, then I started to want to run and then I wanted to ride bikes and certain bikes especially were really hard because my foot wouldn't stay on. And so my dad, he went all like MacGyver on it and he would like put straps on the thing 
and then I could put my foot in there and it would stay. So I wasn't really writing like everyone else, but I was still writing. So I didn't really care. We just kind of had to make things work for me. Yeah. Do you think, because when you're a kid, you know, whether you're able-bodied or disabled, you're kind of fearless, aren't you? Because you don't know what you don't know. You don't know you're supposed to be scared to ride a bike or climb the tree or, you know, play whatever sport. So you you think that was an advantage for you, just to you know try to absolutely, yeah, and just, yeah. And just so have a go. we would just laugh at it, you know. It was just I don't know. I never knew any difference, so I just kind of went with the flow. But now, yeah, I'm in various amputee support groups and things like that, and I'm hearing them talk, and it's just kind of hard to relate, to be honest. And I feel somewhat guilty about that. But our situations are so different, just because this is truly all I've ever known. So. Mm-hmm. I just kind of go with it and it's not very hard for me on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certain challenges, of course, but especially growing up, I mean, I just wanted to be with my friends. So whatever my friends were doing, that was the motivation to just do whatever they could do. And, you know, there are certain days at the pool, which was definitely hard because I couldn't swim with my prosthesis on. So mm-hmm. they were all jumping off the diving board and I was determined. I was going to do it. And so I get up there and they're doing flips and stuff like that. I'm like, how in the world am I going to do this? You know, mm-hmm. I can't spring like they can and jump, get the height that I need and all that. But, you know, my little mind is just circling things and saying, well, you know what? I just have to tuck harder basically because I can't right. jump higher. I got to tuck harder. And I did it. You know, it took me a while. I was sat up there gaining the courage to do it. but there's things like my friends really pushed me and mm-hmm. my parents encouraged me because when I was five, they were like, well, why can't she sign up for soccer? I don't right. see why not. She's running in the backyard. Let's do it. So mm-hmm. they were the ones that never really held me back. And my grandpa's famous words, because when they, when my parents found out that I um, was different basically and had all of these issues then my dad actually left the hospital on like day two or three when they were in there. He just couldn't take it anymore. So he went home and he sat in my grandparents' living room and he's like, what am I going to do? How am I going to raise this daughter? And my grandpa was like, if you treat her like an invalid, she'll become one. Go treat her like right. your other daughter and go forward. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> that's cool. That's, that's cool advice. We should say that to, to grown-ups that you know yes, well. remind them to be you know kids again and just take that fearless approach and just try things yeah so you never know what you can do yeah exactly you know and i mean i'll come on to that in a minute but i was going to go back again to you know the 80s the early 90s technology was nowhere near as advanced as it is now you know, you've got all sorts of different prosthetics with different sports, different adaptive equipment, you know, specialist bikes, specialist rowers, you know, all that kind of stuff. So what, when you went to, to try these things, was it a case of carrying duct tape and some, some lubricant <laughs> spray and just taping your stuff up? Was there any specialist kit back then that could help out? Or do you just have to literally tie things together and hope it works? 
Well, to be honest, um, we carry safety pins. <laughs> that was my go-to because of the strap. The strap was the biggest issue because it just broke all the time. Okay. But um, I went to the Striners Hospital for crippled children, and they actually gave me all of my devices for free. It's amazing. Wow. Um, so I was kind of limited by what they could supply me with, but they knew how active I was. So I was constantly pushing them, like, what else is new? Can I try something else? And mm -hmm. so then we went with suction, and that stayed on a little bit better. Um, but it still wasn't great. And so by the time, like, probably high school came around, I was like, okay, what else? I need something else. And then they decided on the locking pin method. Okay, yeah. And that has done beautifully. I'm still in that right now. Recently just tried to go back to suction, and it still doesn't work for me. It's terrible because <laughs> mm -hmm. my leg is so skinny, and it just it doesn't stay on. So, yeah, yeah I've had um, – I've duct taped shoes on before, especially when it <laughs> rains. Okay. Because like flip-flops and stuff like that, they just don't stay on and with no toes yeah. to grip. So duct tape, that, that works. <laughs> My friend does the same thing with uh, like a, it's like a double-sided tape, but with Velcro. So you'll put, you know, oh. half of it on the flip-flop, half of it on the foot, and it kind of holds them on with Velcro. That's smart. flip-flops. Yeah, he loves flip-flops. Yeah. So, grow, growing up, right, growing up can be rough for any kid, right, because, yeah. you know, at school and everything like that, and it's hard enough if you're able-bodied, right? So, what were some of the biggest challenges that you had growing up? Uh, a lot of staring. I will say that's probably the number one thing. I just got a lot of stares. Um, normally from little kids, because they'll stare longer, and you'll catch mm -hmm. them more. But adults yeah, yeah. will kind of do that like sideways stare and then they'll like glance right back, you know, just so they won't be caught. Um, but staring really doesn't bother me too much. People probably feel worse about doing it than how I really feel about it. So, mm -hmm. um, but I don't know, right around middle school is when things started to get bad and they would start calling me pirate and stuff like that mm -hmm. and just starting to make fun of me. But my friends really stood up for me, and I really cool. didn't have to say much. Mm -hmm. And I had an older sister, so um, I know in my book, because I'm also an author, I write about this instance where I was at a football game, and um, this older girl, I don't know what her problem was, but she ended up calling me a one-legged whore. <laughs> and I was wow. like, do you know what that word means? Cause I don't think yeah. I'm in middle school. And yeah, so that was weird. But then I went and told my sister who was in the high school section at the time with all her friends. And she was like, she called you what? And kind of went all, you know, big sister like, mm -hmm. and she came and confronted her. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe you're saying this to this girl. And she never bothered me again. <laughs> wow. She, yeah, she really I mean, never even talked to me again. <laughs> so kids, kids are rough. You know, um, so moving on, I'm, I'm just trying to get my head around the equivalent of what middle school would be here. So I'm imagining it would be what we call primary school. And then oh, it's probably. And then because I get I get mixed up. So what you would call college, I think we call university. Yes. So, OK, so let's fast forward then. Unless there's anything else you want to talk about through that, that middle school, that schooling period. 
mm-hmm. so when you probably get to 15 16 and you finish your compulsory education and then you've mm-hmm. got that you know do i go on to college and caramel education do i go and get a job i've got these issues you know with prosthetics and having one foot where around about that time in your life what was going through your head yeah so um when we started thinking about college i knew that that was definitely something i wanted to do you know that was the route i was going to take um but college is expensive and my mom actually got online and started looking at what was available for amputees at the time and over here we have the bureau of vocational rehabilitation services commission and they i know really long word but um they actually help out people and you don't have to be amputees but they just need disabled people to get jobs and they said that they were going to help me out a ton so they actually paid for my entire room and board and tuition for my first year wow so i lucked out a lot with that and truthfully i felt kind of guilty because in comparison to some other people i just didn't feel all that disabled and i just felt like i was kind of taking their money so that was kind of a hard thing to combat Mm-hmm. But my mom just looked at me and she was like, you don't realize the struggles that you have every day. Like you deal with them really well, but you, you have to deal with these and other people don't. And mm-hmm. when are you going to stop being so prideful and take the help that is given to you? Yep. And that was good for me to hear because I am pretty stubborn and I don't want to be treated any differently. So taking the help kind of in my mind meant that I was different or mm-hmm kind of giving in or something. I don't know. Yeah, I understand. I understand. I think a lot of um, disabled people, you know, we, we all feel that way. You know, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable, isn't it, to begin with? Mm-hmm. You know, and then you have to kind of have a while with yourself and say, you know what, what your mum just said to you, I do have these daily challenges, I do have these daily struggles. You know, it is a little bit more challenging for me. So, yeah, if there's help out there, you know, I'm going to take it. Yeah. So what did you study? So I studied to be a teacher, and I am currently a teacher right now. I've been teaching for about 13 years. Okay. And I teach ninth grade, so roughly 14-year-olds. Oh, no. I've got a 15-year-old daughter. Yeah. <laughs> They're fun. Yeah, I live that life every day. <laughs> okay. And what is it you teach them? I teach English. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. And that, that's something you see yourself doing for the foreseeable future? Definitely, yeah. And each year at the beginning of school, when I'm introducing myself and everything, I actually take my leg off for the kids, and I walk around without it. Because I'm weight-bearing, I can actually walk without my prosthesis, and yep. they get a kick out of me like running across the floor because I'm so short, you know? I show them all my old legs. I still have my first leg from when I was two, so I just really? I joke. But I have a whole bag of legs in my room, <laughs> in my classroom. Uh huh. So I that, show them all, and that, that's cool, though, isn't it? You know, I think you you go through these phases. As I don't know whether it applies to the majority of disabled people, or whether it's just maybe amputees specifically, but you know, those phases you were talking about just now as a kid in the struggles and, and the nasty kids and you know i imagine 
you feeling terrible, you know, and, and, I, and I went through the same with the people staring in the beginning. And then you get to that phase where actually you can have a lot of fun with it. Yeah. You know, so you are, you are popping them off in front of the kids and running around like, you know, at a shorter height. And, and I don't think we really understand the impact that actually has on people because mm-hmm. you imagine, I, I always try and put myself in their position. You know, and I, and I walk into a room and I see an amputee for the first time. Where do I look? You know, what do I yeah. think? What, what can I say? What can't I say? What's going to offend them? Have they got a sense of humor? Can I ask this question? And then mm-hmm. you immediately break the ice by doing that. And straight away, it's like, all right, this lady's got a sense of humor. This is going to be okay. You know, yes. there's obviously a line we don't cross, but I don't have to walk on eggshells and watch everything that I'm saying. Right. Yeah. And I mean, high school probably was the hardest time for me just with my confidence because as I got older, I wanted the guys to notice me, you know, and when I'm, let's say at the pool or something and I have to take it off, that was just a confidence destroyer. And the guys never even said anything. It was way more a fabrication of, you know, in my mind, basically. Mm -hmm. And so I now show my high school students, like, look, I'm different, but I'm proud of it. And I know that you're all different in your own ways. And just accept it. And if you embrace it, then people are going to leave you alone. That's really what I found out in high school. When I started to act more confident, even if I was somewhat faking it at the time, yeah. people just left me alone. Yeah. No, and I, and I totally agree with that. You know, it's. Um... It, I think it is a, a school kid thing, you know, where mm-hmm. everyone kind of wants to be similar. You know, they want you know, yeah. they find the, the cool kid and they're like, oh, they dress that way. I want to be like that. Or they listen to this music. I want to listen to that. You know, they you know mm-hmm. play this sport. I want to play that sport. But you know, celebrating what's unique and different about yourself, is, I think it's becoming quite cool now. Yeah. And, and I try to spread that same message too and, and say to you know, kids especially because they're, they're confused and they lack confidence. And I say, look, if there's something different about you, just run with it and embrace it. You know what I mean? Right. That's, that's important, I think. Yeah. So, People actually respect you more for it. Yeah. I mean, and it is difficult when you're young, but I think as you grow, you know, and, and you seem to care less about what people think respectfully, mm-hmm. then, yeah, you understand that. Exactly. Now, I was going to go down that road, but I, I didn't know. I was trying to, I thought I'll, I'll gauge her first, see if I can broach that subject about boys and school and all that. But then I saw on your Facebook that you are married and everything. Yeah. So how did that come about? Was that a school Yes, yeah, so I met Bob in college or university, and we met our first year. We had some classes together because he also was studying to be a teacher. So... Okay. We saw each other in a couple classes, and it's really funny, but the very first class we were ever in, he was sitting in the back of the class with someone that he knew from his hometown. I didn't know anyone, and I sat up front, and he looked at the guy behind him and said, I'm going to date her one day. (laughs) He (laughs) he is so cocky, arrogant, but I mean, I've learned to love that trait about him, but that kind of sparked an interest and then at the gym I actually worked at the rec center and worked out there all the time but he came there and saw me swimming one day and he was really intrigued and impressed actually 
because he was like, wow, look what she can do. And she only has one leg. And um, I don't know. He just pretty much saw that and knew I kind of had a spunk about me. And he's like, I'm going to go talk to her. And that kind of started everything. And now we've been married for 13 years. Wow, that's cool. That's cool. And your mm -hmm. children. Yeah, we have two. Gabriella is six and Eliza is two. So I have my hands full. <laughs> so this is something I've always been intrigued to know. Um, I, I have to be very careful how I say this. Um, but obviously when you're, when you're pregnant, women flourish and they, they put on a little bit of weight. Yes. Now I know what, what happens with prosthetics when you put on weight. Mm -hmm. How do you handle that then? You know, with being pregnant, wear prosthetics. Yeah, so it got really bad towards the end with the swelling, really, yeah. because I gained what they said, you know, 30 pounds. I pretty much gained exactly that. And I was very active through my whole pregnancy. So the weight really just stayed in my stomach area until the very end because she was born in September. So it got really hot at the end and the oh. swelling just was terrible. But at night I would make sure to take a shower and leave my leg off the whole time because I found out if I showered in the morning with the hot water, it just swelled up even more. And if I tried right. to put my prosthesis on immediately after it wouldn't even fit on, like I could not wear it at all. <laughs> so a lot of elevating and things like that. And then actually with my next daughter, we built in um, kind of like a, it's almost like a resin, but it's softer. It's kind of hard to describe, but it's almost like an insert. And we put it in there so that if I did go through the same thing again, we could just take out the insert and we would have more room in the prosthesis. See, and this is a, a, the stuff that I think a lot of, you know, non-amputees or people that don't know amputees, these are the kind of hidden things that we deal with, even daily, even when you're not pregnant. That yeah. it's, just, it's just constant, you know, the, the swelling, the heat, the, the bit of rubbing. One day they fit great, the next day they don't fit great, you know. Right. There's a, a bolt turned the wrong way one day and the foot's going the wrong, you know, all these little different issues that you just got to learn to deal with and get on with. And like you say, you used to carry the, uh, the pins with you. Mm -hmm. You know, I have, I have Allen keys and tape and all sorts in a, in a backpack with me all the time, just in case, you know, just in case I need it make a quick repair yeah. and then get to a prosthetic center. Yeah, we actually, uh, I used to carry an Allen wrench with me because yeah. my foot, when I was a pitcher, whenever I pushed off of my right foot to throw the ball, it would just loosen ever so slightly. And I would have to go inning after inning and make sure to tighten it or the whole thing would just be spinning. <laughs> so what, what is, Let's talk about some funny moments that you've had as an amputee. You know, because you, you do get to that point where you don't have a lot of fun with it. You know, and I'm like, mm -hmm. I used to be six foot two. I'm like three foot now and I can fit in small boxes. <laughs> I can, I've got a video of me in the, in the fridge jumping out and scaring the kids. So what kind of fun stuff do you do? Well, in college, it was my drinking years, um, yeah. I went to a bar and again, my sandal fell off. So I asked the bartender for some duct tape 
And he thought I was crazy. I'm like, no, I just need duct tape. I got to put my shoe back on. And I showed him. And he was like, that's awesome. So he got me the duct tape. But then he's like, can I parade this around the whole bar? I was like, I guess so. If you give me a free shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like holding it up in the air like a trophy, just taking it all over the place. And I got my free shot. <laughs> that's cool. Do you drink from the leg? No, I don't. Uh, okay. I know some people do that. Some of the, the guys that are, are below knees, they just pop them off, fill them up, drink out of them. I imagine I totally it would, great. but the, the locking pin, you know, the basically yeah. metal mechanism at the bottom kind of restricts me from doing that. But I totally would. Um, talking about my daughters, they actually were terrified of my leg. When they got around, I don't know, 18 months or so, they realized, hey, look, mom can take off a part of her. And it <laughs> horrified them because they're like, oh, my gosh, is that going to happen to me? Is my leg going to oh, just Oh, wow, off? yeah. You know, so funny moments where we just learned to put stickers all over my leg and just, like, put stuffed animals inside my leg and just kind of have fun with it and play around so that they felt more comfortable with it. And eventually, yeah. I mean, they're fine. They, they call it my special leg now, and they're mm -hmm. acclimated to it just fine. But I was going to ask, you know, how, how have they dealt with it all, you know, growing up? Yeah, they actually think it's cool because right. their mom's a little different, and we, we celebrate it. Um, mm -hmm. I read them a couple books, children's books that have that same kind of thing, like the wonky donkey and things like that. They're like amputee animals mainly. And What's that called the that wonky kinda, donkey? Yeah, the wonky donkey. <laughs> I've not heard of that. I'll have a look at that. <laughs> it's pretty great. Uh, but there are some other stories like that that we share together. And I actually go into their classroom sometimes and talk to their classmates about it. Cool. This is a good message to share to them. And they mm -hmm. love when I come in, talk to their friends. Yeah, no, that's important too as well, isn't it? You know, edu educating those guys who maybe have never met an amputee before and just letting them know, like you said earlier, embrace it. It's okay to be different. And, you know, I love this. So, yeah. Yeah. So, still teaching. Mm -hmm. Still doing all that. You mentioned earlier, and, and I did see online when I was Facebook stalking you, the book. <laughs> Let's talk about yeah. that. Yeah, so one day I was getting ready to go to work and just this voice kind of came in my head that said, write a book. <laughs> I was like, what? Okay. I like to write poetry, so I've kind of written just for fun. I never really shared it with anyone other than maybe some friends here or there, but I just decided that, you know, I have a story to tell and I might try to dabble in that. So I started just putting it together and didn't know if I was going to try to get it published or not I just wanted to kind of write it more for me mm -hmm. um, but then it just flowed together really easily and well and then I just decided you know to have more control over this I was just gonna self-publish and try to sell it myself basically um, but it's just a memoir of me growing up as an amputee and the emotional struggles, the physical struggles, but also the, the victories, the accomplishments and everything that I've gone through. Are there any that off the top of your head right now, any quick highlights we can, we can chat about? Have you got a copy near you? 
I do. Yeah. Maybe maybe we can grab just open a random page, maybe, or a, a good section that you already know about, and we'll have a little quick read. Sure. What's the book called? I, I did see it. Getting a leg up on life. Yeah, it's called Whole a Leg Up on Life. Whole a leg up on life. Got it. Yeah, but I had to put the English pun in there, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got to use the leg part. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to turn to a part here. Let's see. <laughs> okay. So it says, not long after, the nurse came into my hospital room to deliver a floral arrangement from my dad's work. A gift that should have provided joy did just the opposite. It wasn't so much the flowers themselves that elicited the negative response, but the vase that they were housed in. Ironically, the vase was shaped in the normal cylindrical fashion, but the bottom had two baby feet on it. Upon seeing the feet, my parents both lost it. It upset them terribly, having such an evident reminder of what I was missing. In hopes of getting her mind off of it, my mom laid back on the rollaway bed that the hospital had provided her to sleep on. She closed her eyes and took a short nap. Moments after waking, her eyes came back to the dreaded vase. But this time, it looked a bit different. There, were now, there was now masking tape over the last two toes on the right foot. My mom was confused for a second, but when she looked over at my dad, he was smiling smugly at her. Suddenly, she knew. You did this, didn't you? Asked my mom. She could barely get the question out. She was laughing so hard. Maybe, my dad said. So my dad That's was pretty cool. He was just always very playful and, I don't know, kind of trying to lighten the mood. Yeah, but it's th those, those things, you know, things like that, they're the, the little things that make really good stories, though, don't you think? I think so, yeah. So, Oh, you've self-published this, and it's available yes. online, I'm guessing. Uh-huh. Okay, well, then I can I'll put in all the, the links and everything when we're finished and let everyone know where to get it from. And hopefully yeah, that'd draw be awesome. Because awesome. I think that'd be awesome. I'm a, I'll get myself a copy, I think. You know, I wouldn't mind that'd reading That'd be awesome, it. yeah. So. I think we can all learn from each other because even though you're an APT, I'm an APT, our stories are very different. And... I think we can all learn from each other's experiences and yeah. share kind of the nuances and things like that. Do, do you ever do anything like that? Like, because um, I remember back in 2009, I actually get a lot of my prosthetic hair in Oklahoma City. And um, I went to a thing called the Anti-Chi Coalition of America. Yeah. And that, that was the first time I was exposed to, to hundreds of amputees from all over the world with all different stories and backgrounds and, and I learned a lot very early on from a lot of people and I found it very beneficial. You know, yeah, you so actually that? recently I just went to this running clinic that was for amputees and I'm not sure if you know who Grace Norman is, but she is a Paralympic um, triathlon okay. um, com competitor, I guess, and yeah. um, she put the clinic on. so. She's actually from my area and goes to the same leg place, the prosthetic place that I go to. And there were quite a few other people there just kind of sharing our stories, but also she was giving us running advice too. And she's obviously an amazing runner. Mm -hmm. So 
her advice to everyone was really helpful. And her advice really to me was, you have great running form, but your leg sucks. <laughs> right. And it really does because it's so like, I need my leg to kind of do so many different things. I want it to look pretty. I want it to um, have the foot that can have the incline so I can wear high heels. I need it to be structurally sound because I'm pretty active and I don't want to break my foot. So it needs right. to withstand a lot of impact. So I try to kind of have a one size fits all leg and that doesn't really work very well for a lot of people. Like some people have a running leg and some people mm -hmm. have an everyday leg and I just have one leg. Um, insurance has told me many times that I'm too healthy for another leg. So I just recently tried to get a leg where I can be more active and then have this leg kind of be more of my cosmetic leg, but mm -hmm. I got denied <laughs> again. <laughs> mm. It's funny, though, isn't it? For being healthy. How much? $13,000. I don't know how many euro that would be, but can't do that math in my head. It, it, yeah, I mean, the, this is the thing I found about prosthetics. It's like being a new parent. You know, people, they know you need this stuff, so it's super expensive. Yeah. You know, they know you need it and it's, they just, they just jack the price way, way up there. Right. So you, you said when you went onto the running clinic, um, the, the lady that put it on gave you some advice. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if there's someone listening to this, maybe uh, a young girl, you know, growing up similar to how you did, um, what advice would you give her or him? I would just, say that people should try to keep the mentality that they can do it. Don't write themselves off and try new things because I know that they're going to make people uncomfortable, but it's okay to fail or try to have to like maneuver around it. I think a lot of people just tell themselves no right off the get go and they mm -hmm. never know what they could have done. So almost, I don't know, it's not, I know it sounds cliche of believing in yourself, but just don't tell yourself that you can't do something because you can, you might just have to do it in a different way. Right. Improvise adapt and overcome. Yeah. That and fake it till you make it. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with the confidence thing, because that was my biggest struggle. I know a lot of people deal with the physical aspect, but for me as a woman, trying yeah. to get attention of guys the the confidence issue was the biggest one so fake it till you make it no one will know that you're faking right so the future what does the future hold for you what are your plans are you gonna write more books maybe mm -hmm. make a documentary some sporting endeavors um right now i'm actually hoping to videotape a workout that is for amputees or anyone who maybe is injured or something like that. It's going to be mostly just on the floor exercises that people could do with their either legs off or, um, I don't know, anything like that. Because with the coronavirus happening right now, people can't get to their normal physical therapy. They can't get mm -hmm. to the gyms. All of our gyms are closed over here. Yeah. And 
I was hoping just to tape something really quickly, put it out there so that it might help people stay active. And I know I'm dealing a lot with like atrophy with my stump shrinking as I get older. And I am constantly trying to battle that to strengthen my bad leg to make it as strong as my good leg. So a lot of the exercises will almost be doing like double on your bad side and Mm -hmm. a single on your good side. Yeah. It's tough trying to balance out all the time, isn't it? It is. Okay. So are you a social media nut? Are you on there every day on various platforms? Where can people find you if they want to? I am. Yeah. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Uh, I have a blog running out of my own website that I hope to continue to put things out. I think I only have two posts right now, but my plan is about once a week to be posting on there. I'm relatively new to the whole writing thing and uh, my name is out there a little bit more now. So I'm trying to keep up with people and answer questions and things like that. I love people. I'm a people person. So I love just hearing responses or people responding to my posts. I love that. (laughs) That's cool. Which we're going to be in very short supply of in the next couple of months, actually physically meeting people while we're all locked in our houses while this whole coronavirus thing goes on. But once we finished here, if I can, uh, I'll get all your, your handles, the links to all your social media, your website, your blog, I'll post that up. Because I think that you can inspire and help a lot of, of not just women, you know, male amputees as well. And if they can reach out to you, I always think it's beneficial to reach out and ask questions to other amputees who are perhaps further down the line than, than you are. So you can learn from their, their successes and their failures. But just before we wrap it up, is, is there anything else you want to touch on? No, I don't think so. Thank you so you much. Sure? No, oh, thank you. I like I said, you. you know, thank you for reaching out and kind of pushing me outside my comfort zone a little bit and, and forcing me to, to have a guest uh, on the podcast. I think I'll do it a little bit more going forward. So you've, you've helped me there. So I appreciate that. And it's been great to speak to you. And, uh, you too. And this is out of my story. comfort zone too. I don't normally do this either. So <laughs> okay. It's good for both of get, us. <laughs> I'm going to get a copy of that book. Um, I'm not sure what the, the postal system is doing right now with delivering and stuff, but I'll figure right. it out. Um, but Kendra, thank you. I really, really appreciate your time. Um, thank you for sharing your story. Uh, I'll get this posted out and hopefully, you know, you'll have some messages dropping your way soon. Great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. No worries. Thank you. Well, there you go. History has been made. The No Limits podcast has had its first ever guest, and I'm sure you'll all agree with me that she was a phenomenal guest. Now, on a personal level, it's always interesting for me to engage with and share stories with other amputees because you know, we're all so different. Some of us are congenital amputees that are born with limb difference and limb loss. Some of us lose our limbs later in life through trauma, some through illness, some some through disease, you know, and there's multiple levels of amputations from, you know, Kendra's story to straight through to guys that are missing all four of their limbs, you know, and it's always, 
I find it always fascinating to speak to these people and hear the differences in their story to mine compared to my friends and other people that I've met. Um, so it was a pleasure and an honour to speak to her. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. It's given me a bit of a thirst for seeking out other guests. So if you have a story, you know, like Kendra's, one of overcoming the odds from facing adversity, from overcoming challenges, just drop me an email or uh, grab me on social media. I'm on all the platforms. Drop me a message. Drop me a comment. Let me know because I'd love to get more of you guys on here. I'd love to speak to more people, hear your stories, share your stories and hopefully get them out there and inspire and motivate other people either going through something similar or just needing that shot and that bolster of motivation in their own lives. Guys, thank you as always for listening. Thank you for sharing the podcast. Thank you for your ratings. Thank you for your reviews. Thank you for everything that you do to continually support me and and help me to do these things that I'm passionate about. Until the next time, stay safe during this period, during this lockdown period. And uh, I'll speak to you in the next episode.